Hello and welcome to Cage Club. Two fans, 75 movies, one cage. This is episode 52, Ghost Rider from 2007. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And once again, we are joined by Melissa Lynham, the artist behind our podcast cover art. Hello, Melissa. Hello, guys. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm great. Now, this is the movie. This is the franchise that you originally wanted to do, I think. Yeah. We were all kind of hit or miss a little bit with National Treasure. What were your feelings about this one? I saw this movie in theaters with my sister. We almost left the theater because we really hated it so much. (laughs) When I was going to do it for Cage Club, I don't remember anything about it. And I don't hate it as much as I did when I first saw it, but I did not like it. I don't think (laughs) I saw this one in theaters. I think I saw this after the fact. I know I saw the second one in theaters. Unlike National Treasure, where pretty much everybody comes back, I don't think anybody comes back except for Cage for the second one. Yeah. This is a very sort of different kind of experience. Uh, Mike, have you seen this one before? I have seen this one. I saw the theatrical cut. I didn't see it in theaters. I caught it on DVD. This time around, watched the extended cut. Didn't really notice much of a difference, but then again, I didn't really remember very much of this movie to begin with. Some of the imagery and some of the special effects. I didn't remember too much. I remembered that his dad dies early on. I remember the line. I think it might even have been in the trailer where he's like, it feels like my head's on fire, my skull's on fire. I kind of remembered some imagery, but I didn't remember a whole lot. Well, I remember Donald Logue, too, because I love Donald Logue. The other thing that kind of sticks out about this movie to me is it was one of those superhero movies that came out between the Hulks, like between Hulk 1 and between Hulk 2. Basically, after this movie, the Marvel Universe was sort of established, the cinematic one. And this one always sort of struck me as a superhero film that was made before the formula was somewhat perfected and therefore doesn't really feel like your average superhero film to me. It's also one of the very, very few Marvel movies that Stan Lee is not in, because apparently he had no part in the creation of Ghost Rider. It's a Marvel character, it's within the universe, but it's not a Stan Lee character. Mm -hmm. So even though it's a Marvel property and he's sort of the face of Marvel, he's not in this movie, and so it's kind of weird. There's one scene where Ghost Rider is driving up the building on his motorcycle, and there's the guy, like, washing the window. And I thought that would be a perfect little Stanley cameo. It wasn't him. It was just some guy that I don't know. And that was that. Yeah, I was looking for him the whole time. I was sad that he wasn't in it. And I absolutely thought he was going to be the window washer. And it was going to be, like, a reference to the old Batman 66 show where they're walking up the side of the building. And a famous person from the day would sort of peek their head out and go, who is that? <laughs> Someone's up walking up the wall, dear. Get back in here, honey. <laughs> so this movie is kind of an origin story in a couple different ways for Nicolas Cage, I think. It says it's a superhero movie, so it's actually like a literal origin story for the Ghost Rider character, for Johnny Blaze. But it's also, in a kind of close way, sort of an origin story for Nicolas Cage himself. We talked about this, I think, maybe in the Best of Times episode, but he took his name, he took the last name Cage from Luke Cage, who is a Marvel character, and Netflix is going to be doing that series sometime in the near future, I think, early next year. This is something that's sort of close to Cage's heart, I think, uh, if, I, if I read right, he also has a Ghost Rider tattoo that he had to have covered up when he filmed this movie. He loves comic books. We've talked about that before. We'll talk about it again soon on another little detour for Cage Club. 
it's cool that this is something that he's so passionate about, and that we get to see him in like this project that he loves and I think does a pretty good job in whether or not the movie is the best superhero movie. I think he's pretty great as Johnny Blaze and Ghost Rider. Yeah, I think after he lost Superman Returns, right, for a while I, I just get the feeling he was kind of turned off by doing another blockbuster superhero-type film. Truth be told, there weren't a lot being made either. If it wasn't Batman, it basically wasn't going to get done for a long time. This is like very interesting. He's a very atypical superhero. He's called a superhero, but I still don't necessarily regard him as hanging out like Captain America or even Daredevil. He's very dark. He's very different. And there's like kind of even sort of a horror vibe or that kind of edge to him as well. So I could see this appealing to Nick Cage and sort of being the type of comic book role that he would want to get back into that sort of genre with, you know, um, someone who's way out there and completely off the wall. One thing that I really forgot about this movie, and I think by the end it's very obvious what his role in the movie is going to be, is that this movie begins with voiceover from Sam Elliott, who might have the best voice in Hollywood. It's said that the West was built on legends tall tales that help us make sense of things too great or too terrifying to believe. This is the legend of the Ghost Rider. Story goes that every generation has one, some damn soul cursed to ride the earth, collecting on the devil's deals. Many years ago, a ghost rider was sent to the village of San Venganza to fetch a contract worth a thousand evil souls. But that contract was so powerful, he knew he could never let the devil get his hands on it. So he did what no rider has ever done before. He outran the devil himself. The thing about legends is, sometimes, they're true. And I love that this starts out with this. I forgot completely that he was in there. It's just a great way to kick off this movie that, like, what better way to introduce a movie than by Sam Elliott setting everything up? Like, it's the best introduction anybody could ever ask for. Yeah, I love his his dulcet tones. The voiceover reminded me of The Big Lebowski immediately, and uh, I was forcing myself not to put that movie on immediately. The other thing that struck me was he's sort of telling this tale of the Western Ghost Rider, right? He's like, I guess, the Ghost Rider before Nick Cage is going to become Ghost Rider, and, and he sort of sets up the idea that there's been Ghost Rider throughout history but i was not prepared to start like in the old west and i kind of wanted to stay there for the rest of the movie i want to watch wild wild west ghost rider texas ranger doing his thing so it sounds like you weren't too crazy about this movie well i mean as it went on it grows on me i'll get into it but i just i liked the concept of wild west ghost rider so much right off the bat that it took me a while to get back into this film especially when we go to the carnival and deal with young Johnny Blaze the Carney. Well, yeah, I guess that's kind of the struggle of a lot of superhero movies, or at least comic book movies. I guess we can't necessarily call it a superhero movie, right? Studios feel the need to show us the origin story, show us him as a kid. Maybe it works better for me because it's not one that we've seen a lot. It's not us seeing Bruce Wayne get his parents killed. It's not us seeing Peter Parker with his aunt and uncle. It's not, it's, I think because Ghost Rider is a little bit under the radar Kind of like what Netflix is doing with Daredevil's a little bit bigger, but like Jessica Jones and Luke Cage, it's like these sort of second or third level Marvel characters. It's more exciting that even if their story themselves, like in terms of like who Batman becomes, he kind of has the perfect origin story. But like we've been there, we've done that, we've seen that so many times. 
Here, I think it works, and it might be a little bit long in the extended cut, but I think it works well, and it seems kind of unlike a lot of other things. I mean, it's another kid losing his dad at a young mm-hmm. age. Who else comes like from the circus background? Like, not many people that I can think of. It's also this kind of modern retelling of Crossroads, right? This tale of how the devil goes down to Georgia, or you know, you you challenge the devil at a fiddle contest for your soul or wish or superpowers or something something like that. And I feel like that's a story that I've heard retold throughout my lifetime. I think it's just like a very old American folk tale to a degree. And I liked how they started incorporating a lot of that into this it's sort of going to be more like Spawn right like it's dealing with this hell and heaven almost like Constantine or or that show Supernatural from that angle I'm intrigued and it's going to be that stuff I think that keeps my attention the beginning also reminds me a lot of The Place Beyond the Pines because it start, that movie also starts out with Ryan Gosling as a motorcycle riding kid and with Ava Mendez as his love interest. It's just kind of weird that she did these two movies, kind of, they're not at all really similar, but in that way they're very similar, six years apart. Like, how many love stories are there about daredevil motorcycle riders at a circus? When she shows up, she does what she can with the role, but she's, like, amazing in Place Beyond the Pines, and then then I just started thinking, like, Ryan Gosling would have been a great ghost rider. So we learn that every generation has a ghost rider, the damned soul who roams the earth to collect the devil's deals, And we find out that everybody, that the devil sort of makes a deal with the person, collects their soul in exchange for a favor. That manifests itself several times throughout this movie or throughout the history, throughout what Sam Elliott's telling us. This person who sells their soul eventually becomes the ghost rider. And so in the beginning, in the opening movie, we see young Johnny Blaze's dad is sick. He's got probably lung cancer. Johnny Blaze, he's torn between his dad and his girlfriend, but he's willing to do anything it takes to get his dad better even if that means selling a soul to the devil. That didn't seem like he really cared about his dad that much, because as soon as Eva Mendez is like, let's go away, he's like, all right, let's go. He's like, my dad doesn't need me. I'm out of here. And then, like, one second later, we find out his dad has cancer. And then right after that is the contract scene. It's just like, I didn't think he really cared about his dad, because I definitely didn't. Johnny, what if I could help your dad? Yeah. Oh. How is that important? What if I could make him better? Give him back his health? Would you be willing to make a deal? Name your price. Oh. I'll take your soul. There's a lot being established here right at the beginning. It's like, oh, him and his dad are daredevil duo, father-son. But Johnny is sort of more arrogant and not as careful, and his dad demeans him for it, and Johnny resents him, and they're kind of trying to set this like battle between them and or some of some kind that just don't really get along, or they're trying, but then there's no mother. You don't really know what's going on with the mom. Then the dad's coughing like crazy, and then he reaches right for the cigarettes. It's like, come on. like That's just like, it started getting obvious. It started getting just... Just like kind of too much backstory. I didn't feel like he needed to be dying of cancer. I don't know how they could have done the deal with the devil that way, but it's just weird. Like I don't know. Yeah. It's like a lot of stuff coming at me. I'm almost feeling like did they want to just tell the story of young Johnny Blaze? Like they could have almost like stayed here in this time zone and finished, you know, the movie there. It's tough. I'm having I'm just kind of having trouble processing everything because I'm like, well, this kind of feels a little bit too much. They need to set up conflict, right? And I I think that he does love his dad and he feels like he owes his dad something, even if that's outweighed by his resentment of his dad. 
and his frustration that he can't sort of branch out and become his own person. Mm. It's kind of the classic father-son dynamic, and that's that comes back a lot throughout this movie. Eventually, you know, the devil and the devil's son have a sort of father-son right. issues, too. So we talk about Lost a lot on here, and one of the episodes of Lost is all the best cowboys have daddy issues. So Cage wearing a cowboy hat for a lot of this movie sort of made me think, once again, of Lost. But it's a lot of, you know, setting up father-son conflict, kids with daddy issues, dads who are either dead or just terrible to them. I mean, it is doing a lot, but it's sort of... The conflict at home, he wants to get out, so that's what Ava Mendes is doing. But also, he needs to have the deal with the devil to sort of set everything up. There is a lot, and I think that the theatrical cut, where they show less of the dad coughing and grabbing for cigarettes, is almost like the theatrical cut treats the audience like it's smarter that here, just like, oh, they, we'll show you more scenes. Mm-hmm. Like, we want to make sure, we want you to know for sure that the dad has cancer. So it's kind of a little bit too much there. But I think in terms of the beginning of the movie, describing it sounds like a lot, but I don't think it's actually too much in terms of the actual story. That's the thing. Like, it would be bad if none of this came back, but all of it is sort of relevant, you know, to a degree. Like, the whole idea that is his dad's dying of cancer, he the devil shows up and is like, you know, I can cure your dad's cancer. And he doesn't really tell him. What does he tell him? He just says, like, if you, if you give me your soul, I'll cure your dad's cancer. He'll be healthy as a horse. He'll be healthy. <laughs> and Johnny Blaze really doesn't take a whole lot of convincing either, you know? It's like a dark and stormy night. This weird stranger in a black trench coat shows up with a skull cane and starts, like, talking all cryptic about healing your father and all this kind of stuff and he does it and then like his dad dies in a motorcycle accident but his dad's like a great daredevil i don't want it to sound like i don't really like this film. i've kind of come down on the middle of it like i love the way it looks i like ghost rider as a character i like some things that happens later i guess i'm just having most of my problems are up front here in this sort of preamble the young ghost rider i kind of feel like we could have gotten a lot of this maybe throughout the film in flashbacks or in some kind of exposition scene or, or things of that nature well, I think to be fair about his deal with the devil, it's not like he willingly signs the contract. He like kind of cuts his finger accidentally when he goes to look it over. It's not like he's just jumping at the deal to do whatever to get the get his dad healthy. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an accident that he does it. Like who knows whether or not he would do it. It seems like he would do it based on the way he describes things when he's an adult. It's not like he's just like, oh, like where do I sign? He's like, let me look this over, and then the devil's like, oh, that'll do. Like blood on the signature line, we're good. Yeah, he might not have done it. His dad was an asshole. <laughs> and then it is a little weird that as soon as his dad's sort of healthy he wants to leave i understand like he wanted to stay because his dad was sick but now i don't understand you get your dad back like he's not gonna die like you should think about sticking around and yeah but before his dad dies in this motorcycle accident he has the idea he's like basically his new lease on life he's got all these great ideas that he seemed it's, it's kind of weird right that before his dad or while his dad is sick johnny blaze has these grand ambitions that he wants to see the world and kind of can't he feels trapped and then as soon as the dad is healthy it's like the dad has these grand ambitions, and, and Johnny Blaze doesn't really have anything. He's like, you know what I want to do? I want to jump a helicopter. He's like, yeah, yeah, okay. And then, like, like the next, basically, the next trick that the dad does, he crashes into, like, a ring of fire and dies. So he never gets to live out that helicopter, but it sets it up for a little bit later in the movie, which is maybe important, maybe not. I'm not sure. They didn't have that in the theatrical version. His dad doesn't say anything about the helicopters. And I guess I just don't understand why his dad needs to die. Why can't Johnny Blaze and his dad go on to be daredevils and then his dad die a natural death? 
and then you know the devil can come and collect on Johnny's soul thirty years later, like he plans to. I mean, it's he's only kind of like the devil's insurance policy. It's like when something escapes from hell that like I can't capture. That's when I kind of need you. You're going to be like a bounty hunter or something like that. I guess I'm just wondering that it feels like they squeezed in the parental death because everybody's superhero parents die. Like that's kind of I guess what I'm getting at, and ultimately what bothers me. I, I I'm not really aware of Ghost Rider's comic book origins, you know, so I don't know if they're trying to stay close to that or if they're doing this because everybody's parents die. They reason, I mean, they might have done it for storytelling purposes and it might might just be like an adaptation thing. I think that they do it because as soon as the dad dies, we cut to Johnny Blaze just sort of sitting there in the prep area and the devil comes up and he's just like, hey, you know, like we, we had a deal, like I'm going to be back. One day when I need you, I will come. Until then, I'll be, uh, I'll be watching. Forget about friends. Forget about family. Forget about love. You're mine, Johnny Blaze. And I guess they could do that, you know, if the dad dies of natural causes 10, 20, 30 years down the line, whatever. I think it makes sense in terms of the actual movie, not necessarily Ghost Rider as a character, that the dad dies so quickly and so right away so the devil can pop up and be like hey remember we made that deal mm. I guess it does add sort of this he, he's going to be looking over his shoulder the rest of his life and, and the devil does have one or two cool lines where he's kind of like I, it seems like he's possessing him where he's like you'll have no attachments you'll love no one you'll have to do this you know like you won't be a man that can lead a normal life so I kind of like that scene where the devil is like laying down his deal you know and like he's like you're cursed you're this you're that so I get it from that point why he feels the need to be like this loner this detached person and that's when the movie changed that's when i I like the adult johnny stuff i like the way that nick cage carries his past and i and i guess it's worth it to have sat through the carnival stuff i can see it affecting him as an adult just in the way that that cage is sort of carrying himself and really kind of as hit or miss or maybe as slightly over long as this intro is it only takes about 15 or 20 minutes before we're in the present so it might feel like a lot longer but it's not too much on screen And that's even including the Sam Elliott introduction. I think in the theatrical version, it's probably even closer to 15 minutes, maybe even a little bit under. It's not like Gone in 60 Seconds where it takes an hour to get going. We're kind of into the action relatively quickly. And I do think it's kind of a cool little coincidence that Melissa's back for this episode, because it's the two movies that we've seen so far, National Treasure and this, where we have Young Cage and Adult Cage, (laughs) and they both kind of have a cool time jump that in National Treasure, the kid looks down and then looks up at his cage, in this one, we zoom in on young Johnny Blaze's eyes, and then the eyes transform into Cage's eyes, and we zoom out and he's doing his Daredevil thing. So it's cool that she's there for the two <laughs> little kid Cage movies, and also these kind of two cool jump-through times. As soon as I saw that, I was like, yes, another one! I think I liked this one better, but a lot of that has to do with they started playing Crazy Train. <laughs> so I thought it was much more interesting with them stunt after than with Cage on a Arctic, wherever he was, trip in National Treasure. <laughs> yeah, I really like that morph shot where it starts out sort of far on the young Johnny and then he's just on an empty road and then it zooms into his eyes and they sort of morph into the older Johnny and it zooms out and it's Nick Cage in his full sort of evil Knievel gear and he's in yep. a stadium sort of... Like a monster truck rally, perhaps, and he's about to set it off. And he's saying to himself, you can't live in fear. You can't live in fear. 
and then he jumps over a whole bunch of cars or a whole bunch of trucks, crashes at the end, and hits his head on the wheel, should kill him, gets up, he's like, hey, is the bike okay? Real cool moment, real cool line. Donald Logue's like, <laughs> yeah, man, the bike's okay. Oh, I was so happy to see him. I had no memory of him being in this movie, so that was wonderful. Even though he doesn't really have a lot to work with, he was great every time he was on. Yeah, I love that guy. Like, I used to watch his show, Grounded for Life. I loved him in Blade, you know, another Marvel about, film. What about Terriers? No, I, I, I guess I, I have to... That. I gotta check that out. Terriers, a side detour for a second from Cage Club, but Terriers is a show that lasted one year on FX. I think it's on Netflix. It's Donald Logue and Michael Raymond James, and it is so good. So I highly recommend that. If you love Donald Logue in this movie, and it sounds like both of you like him more than maybe the rest <laughs> of the movie, you should definitely check out Terriers, because I love it so, so much. Anyway, back with Cage Club. <laughs> so here's like just a small example of something that it's more or less with the writing that I have like little issues with. Like On the whole, like I do enjoy this movie. I definitely love the way it looks, and I love the Ghost Rider stuff that's coming. But like he just crashed, right? Like He just tried to jump like 100 trucks, and he crashes. His buddy comes over, and like you know, he could have like a broken neck. He could have a broken back. And they just like slip off his helmet and slap him in the face. And they're like, you good, buddy? You good, buddy? And it's just like little things. Things, little stuff like that that kind of bugs me just a little bit. I'm able to sort of brush it off by the next scene because he gets up and he puts Elvis glasses on and he does sort of the Elvis point, you know, and they <laughs> oh. walk him off out of the uh, arena. His team is definitely not following 2015 NFL concussion procedures. <laughs> They're just in reckless disregard for his neck and his head. I'm glad that you pointed out the Elvis point because I've been tracking, not officially, not like Lindsay Gibb tracking Cage's shaving scenes. But in a lot of his movies, Cage points. He loves to point at people, point at things. Mm. You know, maybe the most iconic, or one of the most iconic shots from Wild at Heart mm-hmm. is after he beats that guy to death, right? And he looks up with a cigarette out of his mouth and just points at Marietta. I screenshotted every time he points this movie, and the entire <laughs> movie, as both Johnny Blaze and as Ghost Rider, he's pointing at things. And I just love, like, he's got such a powerful point, and I think that's a Cage thing as an actor, it's a very powerful move that it's just like, hey, I'm in charge. I'm talking to you. And he does it throughout this entire movie. I hated it. Every time he did it, it was like a really <laughs> slow arm raise every time. And then he'd be like, you at the end. Oh, it drove me crazy. <laughs> oh, it's so good. I love it so much. I always thought of pointing as sort of this rude gesture as I was raised, you know, never point at stuff, never do. But but when he does it, it's sort of in this like, I'm the boss, like commanding yeah. respect. You don't F with me kind of pointing in a way in this movie, especially when he's Ghost Rider. It's just like, he's like a mime. He like doesn't even need to talk. He could just point and, you know, you'd shit your pants or something. Ghost Rider does not talk a lot in this movie. He doesn't have a whole lot of lines. He is sort of more physical. But what's kind of cool is that when Ghost Rider does talk, it is actually Cage talking. Mm. Apparently, this is how they made the Ghost Rider voice. Uh, the sound designer recorded all Cage's lines just normal as the Ghost Rider, filtered them through three different kinds of animal growls, played them backwards, and played it through a mechanical volumizer before finally giving them a fiery crackle. And the director compared it apparently to, quote, a deep, demonic, mechanical lion's roar and said, one thing is for sure, his voice will shake the theater. He doesn't have a whole lot of lines as Ghost Rider, but it's not like a computer-generated thing. It's basically Cage, if Cage was an animal, Mm -hmm. played through like a machine and then added a fiery crackle to. So it's kind of cool that, yet again, Mike, I always point this out to you, 
two cages for the price of one. I know how much you love that. That's pretty cool to know that he's involved with all of that. But to me, he just kind of sounded like a bear trying to talk or something like that. And, and he kind of says stupid stuff like, you're going down or like, yeah. bring yeah. it on. And just these really kind of cliche lines. I, I almost would have preferred if he just like spit fire and didn't really say anything or something like that. But he looks awesome. So... <laughs> And so this is the point of the movie, right? I think we're on the tour bus now, right? we got to talk yeah, about the, the jelly tour beans. Bus. Oh, yeah. He's, he's not eating jelly beans on the tour bus, is he? That's yeah. in his apartment. No, that's in a tour bus. He's, drink- he's eating them out of a little martini glass. That's, 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 in, his, that's in his apartment. He does it there, too. Oh, my God. So on the tour bus, he's on the tour bus, and Donald Logue is playing basically a Johnny Blaze video game. He is eating jelly beans. But not eating is the wrong word. <laughs> he's drinking jelly beans out of a martini glass. I don't know what flavors. They're they're only yellow and red, which are probably the grossest. Yeah. It's sort of like the fire colors, right? Yeah. It's symbolic and everything. I, mean, I I was just thinking of the sweet rocks from Ant Bully a couple episodes ago. <laughs> <laughs> like how now there's jelly beans and Ghost Rider and starting to like lose my mind at Cage Club now. And I'm like, why is he drinking jelly beans out of a martini glass? Like it's just so eccentric. I mean, his character says that alcohol gives him nightmares, but just think of the sugar rush and like all. Oh, that i mean i would get such a headache from eating that many jelly beans it's just baffling well have you ever try to drink the jelly beans maybe that's your problem <laughs> well you seem to be chewing them a little bit before you swallowed them so <laughs> and we kind of cut on action from him drinking the jelly beans to this random biker at a hell's angel bar drinking a beer the bartender brings him a beer and then he starts drinking it it just turns ice cold and this is when we meet oh god what is his name it's the dumbest name blackheart, blackheart. Blackheart. Yeah. I thought it was mm. Frostbite. Wait, I have a, so I have a question. Oh, when in the, your extended version, is this the first time you see him at the yes. bar? Oh, in the theatrical version, it's right after like the tour bus scene ends. It goes to the road and it's pointing at the end of the tour bus and the tour bus drives and it's this open field and it's raining and then it starts yeah. raining fire. Oh yeah, that's in it. Oh, oh well, yeah, he like, and jumps like, out. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. And his face is the exact same oh, face right. as the Snapchat filter that they have for <laughs> Halloween. Yes. And I just was hysterically laughing. Yeah, and the sky clouds get all like evil dead faces and weird looking and it's like mm-hmm. pretty cool for a minute. I'm like liking the imagery and stuff and then he just like appears there that's like that sort of like that quick like the sort of a jump scare right yeah then he goes to the bar right we sort of don't know who or what he is we know he's not human what's weird is that he's a devil ostensibly but he makes things cold yeah i was confused well i was thinking about that too and look i'm not like a theologian or anything like that but i do recall hearing that the depiction of a fiery hell sort of came into play later on and that earlier hell was depicted as ice cold and blue and the devil was blue and i mean there's just very many different sort of versions of hell i think it's just they needed to give him a superpower and his dad's already the devil we have ghost rider who's going to be fire so his main bad guy needs to be the opposite which is ice or coldness so i'm pretty much sure that's why he's frostbite which is what i called him the whole movie because it's a cooler name than black When he touches people, like, the life drains out of them. So that's sort of, and that makes sense in terms of the blue, right? Like, it's sort of draining all mm-hmm. life, like, and life is sort of classically characterized as red. 
and sort of passion and whatever. So I can see that, but I mean, the beer going cold, it's just kind of, it's kind of a weird little touch. Which is why I thought he froze people, because the beer froze, and I guess it's just the cool chill of his demonic <laughs> sort of presence, right? I don't know. I mean, he carries himself like he thinks he's the coolest guy in the world, too, with that just saw the Matrix and bought a black trench coat, and now I'm going to walk around and, like, he even kind of looks like Neo with that. <laughs> and that actor is Wes Bentley. According to an interview in 2010, this was in the middle of his decade-long serious addiction to cocaine and heroin. And apparently, the only reason he accepted any movie roles during that time was so that he would have money to buy enough drugs. So that's a terribly depressing thing. I think he works well as a villain, even if his villain is kind of stupid and weirdly defined. I think he does a good job in this movie. It's just sort of a sad what's happening in his life around this movie. Yeah, I think everyone's good in their roles. I, I think they're doing their best and, and they're having fun and everyone sort of shows up to play. It just feels like him, especially if he's going to be the big baddie, I feel he's kind of underwritten. Like he has menace, he has presence. I think the actor brings a lot of that. The only movie I knew him from before this was American Beauty, where he played like a super weirdo that lived next door, you know? I see him as like the creep. I, I see that he's a kind of guy who can be scary and stuff like that. And I like when they do his Morphe demon face stuff. I just wish he didn't sort of team up with a boy band at one point. I almost felt like he was strong enough to do it all. It would He would have been more powerful because they don't really do much, his boy band of demons. It just sort of gives Cage more things to do, right? That it gives him more people to kill creatively and kind of more bad guys to handle while they're driving trucks into him. Yeah, they die so quickly, all of them. Yeah, there's sort of the cannon fodder. They try to have Ghost Rider at one point just be a Batman and go around and bust crime, but, you know, that's kind of hard to pull off when you're sort of like this Spawn-esque demon presence thingy. He needs to sort of fight monsters and things like that, you know? I just wish they weren't quite as hokey. You know, I wish he kind of learned stuff during those battles, like, you know, a new skill or a new power or information of some kind. Yeah, they just sort of throw these guys at him to kind of kill time. Well, apparently a lot of these villains are maybe all the villains are borrowed from other Marvel comics. Like, I don't think any of these are necessarily Ghost Rider villains. I don't know what he does in the comics. So maybe these aren't really villains. They kind of seem to fit the world that they're building, but they also sort of seem a little bit off. Not necessarily, like, in a bad way, just feel like they're not necessarily part of this world. Yeah, they work it into the story saying that they're fallen angels, I guess, to make it fit in with everything. But then they're, they each have an element, except fire, and it was just so cheesy, I guess. <laughs> I just, I didn't like it. It really, it felt like they were just forced in there so that Ghost Rider could have a one-minute scene killing each of them later. I was thinking about it a little bit, and I'm like, okay, like, they definitely work these elementals into the movie because they're playing off of Ghost Rider being the fire element thing. And I think during a rewrite of some kind, these guys got turned into air, water, and dirt, or whatever they end up being. <laughs> or they are from other comics, and they're like, okay, we need people who we could turn into demons or demons and stuff to fill Ghost Rider the story and use those. I, I think it just could have been cooler if Blackheart came to Earth and started some kind of demon army, you know, was like killing these bikers and then they were under his control and then like they would go out and kill more people and so he's like amassing this army and then Ghost Rider would have to fight a lot of guys instead of a helicopter at one point. Um, he kind of runs out of things to fight in this movie, I think. Yeah, that would have um, been a lot better. Well, I don't want to criticize the writing too much because apparently, according to my research, Cage wrote part 
read the script. When we were talking about Sonny, we talked about how he never really wrote things. Apparently, he wrote part of this. So I don't know if he was just adding his comic book expertise or if he actually wrote entire scenes. We don't want to criticize Cage as the writer if this is really maybe his first Hollywood screenplay, partially. Yeah, I don't want to come down too hard on this film. I know it sounds like I'm kind of busting on it. I would recommend it. Like, I think there are more good things than bad things going on. And definitely once I got past the young Johnny stuff, like I'm, I'm much more into this movie. I love the idea of sort of this popular media figure that becomes, for lack of a better term, a superhero. You know, that I thought was like really interesting that he's got like a very sort of public. It's sort of what they tried to do with Fantastic Four, play on popularity and the media and being a new kind of celebrity thing. But here, he's like this established celebrity who gains these powers. And I thought that was interesting to work with. Like, that's something new to me with superheroes. What that fame also does is that it brings Ava Mendez back into his life, that she is this reporter, and he's about to do this crazy jump where he's going to jump over the helicopters, and she comes to interview him. And Donald Logue says, he never does interviews. And he's like, no, I'll do it. And they have this like little awkward, like, the most awkward on-screen TV interview where she asks him a question. He's just like, hey, how's your dad? How are you doing? Like, what's going on? What have you been up to? And she just, and you can see, like, it's funny, and it's also just funny because it's uncomfortable. It's Cage doing the Cage thing. I mean, it's, it's the character, but like, He's doing what he wants in the scene instead of what Ava Mendez wants him to do. And I think it's a really funny interaction here because it's so awkward. Yeah, I like this stuff. I think that they have a good rapport together, too. I think that they play off each other well. And I, I like the reintroduction of her character. I feel like it's shot from Johnny's point of view because she appears almost like angelic, right? She's just like in the hallway with the white lights on her and a blue dress and everything like that. So, I mean, she looks gorgeous and beautiful and he's definitely sort of blindsided by it. And at least to this nice little funny fun I like this this is fun stuff here I, I think this scene works well apparently she's not beautiful enough to win over the affection of that waiter oh that after a little bit later when Cage stands her up she says I'm pretty right and the guy just shrugs I'm like come on like this is Ava Mendez you know I think she's a good actress I think she is really good in this part but I think also partly cast in a lot of movies maybe because she's one of the most beautiful people in the world come on dude like give her like yes yeah, yeah, she's pretty don't, don't just shrug your shoulders her alone at dinner everything in that scene drove me crazy <laughs> oh my god you know, can i talk you about it yet that she had an, a magic eight ball apparently in her purse i just yelled at the tv i was like what are you doing who brings <laughs> a magic eight ball with them oh, forrest mcneil so does that's all i kept oh, yeah. thinking she oh, saw that's true and she's like i'm bringing an eight ball <laughs> everywhere i go <laughs> oh if i think about it like that it gets much better oh it's crazy and then she's drinking like a bottle of wine in one glass both of her hands around it hunched over like looking around like a crazy person at a restaurant and then she drunkenly asks that waiter if she's pretty, which is such a stupid thing for her to say. Oh my god, she gets the dumbest lines. That waiter has ruined it. He's like, no. I'm like, are you are you kidding me? What is wrong with you, man? At the risk of sounding chauvinistic myself, like I feel like she's almost distractingly beautiful. Like almost like can't pay attention to like the role. I guess she's good in this movie. It's just like I look at those eyes and like I kind of go deaf. <laughs> but you're right. They just portray her character as just like weak and dumb, and I'm just like not. Again, no I cage know. club. Why? Diane Kruger effect, wearing its ugly head. Yep. A lot of similarities between this and National Treasure, and they too many, too many for sure. After he gives a little interview before that date, he jumps the six helicopters. Unfortunately, after he jumps these six helicopters, I looked up Al Cerullo not in this movie. Hmm. In 450 movies, he's in something like six or ten or whatever cage club movies. Not in this one. And there's two kinds of helicopters, as Melissa pointed out to me today. There is the helicopter she jumps over here that fly in from above the stadium, and there's the police helicopter later. Plenty of room 
plenty of opportunity for Al Cerullo to get some work here. Yeah. Throw him a bone. He wasn't a national treasure either, so he's in all these movies except for the ones I'm doing. All I could think of was Firebirds, and anytime I could <laughs> think of, I was thinking of that after this, I, I started thinking of Firebirds a lot, and a lot of, like, the cage lines, and a lot of, like, the... I am the greatest. Exactly. And I don't think that he would have driven the CGI helicopter later on, because that was CGI. I mean, like, glaring. Yeah, but I mean, like, like, I was like, whoa, that's not even, like, a model that they've... <laughs> I was like, that's full-on, like, a cartoon. My favorite part, though, about him jumping the helicopters is that after he does it, he takes his helmet off and he poses and he smiles and then throws the helmet <laughs> to the kid in the crowd. Yeah. That helmet has got away, I don't know, 20 pounds maybe? Like it's, I don't have a sense of how much the, like what the number is, but I know that motorcycle helmets are heavy and he's just tossing it up to a kid who's probably three feet tall and the kid just catches it like a football. Like that <laughs> helmet would destroy that kid and the kid just is so happy to have a Johnny Blaze helmet. Yeah, and I love how he's like in- it's encouraging the kid to like, hey, you grow up, you could jump eight helicopters, you know, <laughs> like be like me. Then Johnny proceeds to drive like out of the arena without a helmet, right? Like he needed that helmet. What was he thinking? Well, he's a daredevil. I mean, he can do regular <laughs> motorcycle tricks. He can apparently also sit on his handlebars while doing like a nose front wheelie, like a reverse wheelie to win over their affection. He's just a great motorcycle driver. He doesn't crash unless he's trying to jump 100 trucks. Like, he's pretty much flawless throughout this movie in terms of his abilities. So I think I have a question I have to raise at this point about Johnny Blaze's Daredevil career. Okay. Is he immortal? Is the devil keeping him alive? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Does he know that? Or does he have a suspicion about it? Or does he just think he's like this lucky son of a bitch, even though he made this story? Do you think he knows and he's like decided to make a career out of it? Is that what was happening? I think that what happened was that he, his dad dies, he sees the devil, I'm guessing, does some kind of self-destructive stuff as a teen, right? Like, isn't happy about what's going on. Maybe walks away without a scratch every time, continues his life of daredevil stunts, never really hurt. When he crashes, when the bike is okay, you know, what we were talking about earlier, he should break his neck. I think it's the devil keeping him alive until he can fulfill his pact. Even if he doesn't come out and say that I'm immortal, I think he knows it, consciously or unconsciously, knows that he can't be hurt because the devil's kind of looking out for him. All right, I kind of, I, I like that. I like that I couldn't know for sure. You know what I'm saying? I think they played that yeah. pretty well, and I have to give them kudos for that. Now, that is cool. Like, this whole idea that, you know, you've been cursed by the devil and you're immortal, but it's like a doomed immortality. You know, like, what are you going to do? And it's like he's got a death wish, and, like, all he wants to do is die away from this curse. Every time he tries to sort of screw up a stunt or kill himself, the devil's like, no, I'm keeping you alive. It's almost like in The Wicker Man where he gets stung to death and they revive him just to kill him again <laughs> when they need to so here's a question for you mike i just answered your question why does he say i haven't seen you in fifty six thousand years like that seems like a very <laughs> oddly specific not like i haven't seen you in a million years or i haven't seen you in a thousand years or whatever fifty six thousand years what does that number represent i mean i i don't think it it's like that's weird because i think he mentions like 20 <laughs> 20 something is like the number 26 or 23 is like the number he it's like his code to say hello to his son or something like he likes to throw in a little nod to his son he uses his birth day from time to time but i don't think it's that number uh, i think it's just sort of another case of trying to find something different outside the box like when he says boo-hoo in vampire's kiss or you know it's just like instead of saying the token you know haven't seen you in a million years it's like hey try something different maybe try to make it a joke or put his own <laughs> twist on it 
I would love if that was like the only line that he wrote in the entire movie and got that little mention on IMDb. Like Keith wrote parts of the script. He just wrote that fifty six thousand years line. Because there's other times like when he's on the tour bus earlier, he looks out the window and says something and it's, it's kinda cheesy, but like in the moment the way it's framed, I can exactly see it like as a comic book panel. You know what I mean? Like saying out loud, talking to himself. Here, like this is something that nobody in any medium would ever say, except for maybe Cage is trying to be a little bit unique. Yeah, I feel like this, the jelly beans, the carpenter's music, the Elvis glasses, sort of choices with swagger, when he's into all leather for the second half of the movie. Like, I have a feeling maybe, I don't know, some of the bike stuff, he might have been like, I like this bike, I like that bike. I just have a feeling like he maybe he, he just sort of beefed up the stuff about his character, scenes that he was in. I don't necessarily see him reworking the Blackheart stuff. That was weird. They cut away from Blackheart a lot. Like, we don't get to see him take out the biker bar like the terminator would have nick cage probably also wrote in the scene with him with his abs screaming in the mirror <laughs> i think that's that was definitely a, a little cage touch well that's something we can get to a little bit later and there's that there's the great debate about that scene about whether those are actually his abs or not but the reason so he he meets up with ava mendez on the road and he asks her out to dinner and she sort of begrudgingly says yes i think just sort of to get rid of him and then he stands her up because he's saying in the mirror you can't live in fear and then as he turns to go his hands turn red and he sort of becomes Ghost Rider. And the devil shows up and is like, you know, I've always been here. This has always been our plan. I need you to fulfill that favor for me. Why are you here? Oh, I've always been here, Johnny. All along. Phoenix, Denver, Houston. It was you keeping me alive. No, no, Johnny. It's all you. You're the best, and I'm your greatest fan. The posters, the video games, the crowds, screaming, chanting, Johnny, Johnny, Johnny. It makes me so proud. It's like watching an investment. It keeps growing and growing until the day you cash it in. That day is today, Johnny. Before the devil meets up with Cage, it's a few scenes ago that he meets up with Blackheart. And they have this big confrontation. This is what we were talking about earlier a little bit, that there's like these real sort of deep-rooted daddy issues here. It's basically Blackheart saying, you're an old man, like, I'm going to take your place, kind of, right? Like, I'm, yeah. I'm stronger than you are. I'm, the, I'm basically going to be the new devil. Yeah, and the devil, Peter Fonda. Welcome back <laughs> to Cage Club. I think he was in Deadfall for, like, a full-on minute. <laughs> what the hell are you doing here? It's my time now, old man. Your time will come. But not now. We both know you can't harm me here. I'm not like you. I've never fallen. I never will. I may not have power over you in this world, but my rider does. The Ghost Rider? Your favorite creation? Hmm. The power of Hellfire wasted on a pathetic human? If you had trusted me, if you had given me what was rightfully mine, it's all mine. Until the end of days. Go ahead. Send the rider. I'll bury him. 
and then I'll bury you. This is like a strange scene for me. They sort of lay this on you. Okay, Mephistopheles is a fallen angel. Mephistopheles in the Marvel Universe, there is the devil is this guy, Mephistopheles, and he's actually a really cool character, and this guy doesn't do him any justice. I think they're playing off that whole Milton stuff where the devil is a fallen angel. Blackheart was never a fallen angel because he was born a demon, so he can sort of walk around Earth and do stuff where the devil can't. He's like bound to hell in a lot of ways right that's what this scene sort of establishes and he's like i can walk around earth so try and stop me and the devil's like well i'll sick the ghost rider on you there's like this thousand soul contract that one past ghost rider didn't give to the devil and like that's kind of the object of both of their affection really the only card not maybe not the only card left but like the best card that mephistopheles has to play is ghost rider and so he's like let's step up like it's time for you to get going I was like, what is this? What is, like, he's, he's like, late for his date. The devil shows up, and I was, like, kind of baffled. I can't believe, like, this is all happening. I don't know. It just all played a little more comical than I was expecting it to. Like, this is what's going on, and then we're going to cut back to uh, Roxy, and, the, and she's just, like, getting drunk, waiting for him. And then we're going to cut back, and he's, like, flaming out into Ghost Rider. It's just, like, kind of uneven. I just wish we never even cut back to Roxy or anything like that. I'm liking this Ghost Rider business that's going on here, you know, the the devil shows up and he's like, you can't back out of this and binds him to the bike and the bike goes to find Blackheart and it like melts the streets and all that's really cool. It, like warps the cars and everything melts as the bike goes. And, and then when he gets thrown off and turns into Ghost Rider, it's like one of the all time greatest cage freakouts in history. Yeah. I mean, his skull literally catches on fire. He's screaming. It's hard to judge the CGI in this movie, I think, because some of it is bad, like the helicopter. The, the flaming skull's not great, but I also think that they're kind of going for a cartoonish, comic booky vibe. But, like, what's really cool is, like, his transformation from human to CGI. I think that looks really cool. Yeah, the CGI skull didn't bother me. I thought it looked fine, and I liked his transition scene with his face melting and Cage just freaking out. I wish I could see it without the CGI. I bet he's making just amazing faces. Yeah, the raw footage would be absolutely awesome <laughs> to watch. And, and you're right about the CGI. It wins me over, but definitely the elemental demons kind of, that's the low end of the tier, right? Like the smoke guy, especially Waterman. All of it is just like kind of too polished and too clean. Like the whole movie has a very cool, cool as in like bluish, you know, cool look to it. I think the movie is shot really well. It's really good to look at. The CG, like even though it's bad like it blends with the look of the film even when it's not working it's pretty forgivable however i do love the way ghost rider looks like they've fully realized what i expected to see and i'm kind of blown away when he's like fully there for the first time it's like a really hard image for me to like wrap my head around when you just see him like walking around like that with the flaming skull and it like takes my mind a minute to really even know what i'm kind of looking at it's kind of awesome and what's also really cool is that the skull is based on Cage's actual skull. They took like a 3D scan of Cage's head. Oh, awesome. And so the Ghost Rider's skull is actually kind of Cage's skull. So even if we can't see, we can only imagine his amazing facial expressions, like Melissa was just saying, we sort of get the next best thing, kind of. Like we get Skull Cage or Cage Skull instead of actual just Cage's head. So that's kind of a cool little substitute. I don't know why I keep thinking of the Equalizer, that Denzel Washington movie. I feel like the comics, the Ghost Rider comics, might be this. Him kind of just taking care of petty street criminals, like handling things that he knows he can handle. That he's driving around on his first night, and one of the first things he does is that he sees Rebel Wilson getting mugged in an alley, beats up, and then I think kills 
right? Mm-hmm. Her attacker. I imagine that his story is kind of taking care of like these low-level street criminal thugs a lot of the time, eventually fighting bigger guys. But this is kind of cool, maybe just because Rebel Wilson is so great in this role, like way before possibly anything else that she's ever done. I didn't remember her. Actually, I probably didn't even know who she was at the time. So watching it now, I was so happy to see her. Oh, it's great. What I didn't expect for this one, as soon as he like changed into the Ghost Rider, I didn't know that he was going to already know how to use his abilities. Like, he just knew and just went for it. I thought I was going to have to watch, like, a skeleton training montage, and I'm glad that I didn't have to do that. Yeah, I, I thought that he might at least discover powers while fighting one guy to the next, but it does seem like the demon or whatever possesses him sort of takes over, and he's no longer Johnny at this point. Like, he can't really control it yet, so it sort of seems like the devil's almost controlling him like a puppet. That's how mm-hmm. I kind of saw it. Until he himself can, like, turn it on and off or knows what's really going on. And we sort of get to see him test drive his powers, right? Like, right away, he beats the crap out of one of the element guys. Like, he, he just, like, puts his chain on fire, wraps around his fist, and punches the guy. And, like, does this once or twice. He uses the chain like a lasso, almost like a cowboy. And he lassos the yeah. element and then just turns him into embers or ashes and stuff. And that's when he goes out and sort of becomes, like, the street-level criminal. You're absolutely right. Like, he grabs this dude all he needs to really do is sort of like punch him in the face or knock him out or whatever put a bone finger through his arm but he grabs him and does this staring thing into his face and the guy sees like the sorrow and pain of everybody he's ever hurt in his life and that kills him yeah well it's real depressing i don't know if it's that that kills him or that guilt plus actual just fire from ghost rider (laughs) or maybe just the fact that he choked him out it's a combination of something that leaves this guy dead on the side of the road and it's what kind of gets the cops involved gets cage a little bit in trouble with the law yeah now the flaming bike doesn't seem like such a good idea because there's just (laughs) a trail wherever he he rode there's just a trail i mean if i can believe that I just watched a person turn into a flaming skull. I mean, I could believe that he would ride a motorcycle that doesn't leave a trail of evidence behind. I don't know why they put that in there. It is a nice little nod to Back to the Future, though, especially the spinning license plate that eventually gets him in trouble as well. Like, I feel like this movie also is kind of in love with other movies, that they have this little nod to Back to the Future. We were talking earlier about how it's a Western. At the end of the movie, with this final confrontation of Blackheart, I was getting kind of good, bad, and the ugly vibes. Oh, yeah. Quick cuts, like, to eye, to eye, Mm -hmm. like... Nobody moving. So I think it's just like this movie is just paying homage to other movies. This was another thing about Ghost Rider I'm not sure I, I kind of don't like about the character is that he can only ghost out during the night. And when the daytime comes, he, he sort of found that he's wandered into this old cemetery and in front of his dad's grave and, and he morphs back. It's cool. It does like the reverse. Like the skin seems to grow back over his skull during the daytime. But I was kind of bummed that it is like werewolf power in a way. I wanted to see him. Maybe we'll get to see it in the next movie. But I was kind of like, I wish he could like do it during the day too. That would be cool imagery and stuff. I understand they need to give him some kind of weakness because right now he's super powerful. You know, nothing can stop him. So it makes sense that he's got like this vampire disease and he can't skull out during the day he's kind of like a vampire he's kind of like tyler durden almost that he (laughs) loses control of himself at night you know when he should be sleeping he's just not johnny blaze anymore he's ghost rider i don't know if i just misinterpreted or if the movie kind of gives off the wrong vibe as this movie goes on he has to sort of learn how to control his powers which i guess is something that a lot of you know comic book movies do but it felt like to me that he was learning how to control his powers so he could do it at any time of the day But I guess it's just that he can turn it on or turn it off at night instead Mm -hmm. of always being on at night. 
I agree with you. Like, if he was able to do it sort of at will, it would be cool, but I guess you're right. Like, they do need some kind of limitation for him. Yeah, because now now that we're even talking about it, I think of a guy like the Hulk, right? They're getting to a point with that character where he can Hulk out on will, right, and kind of change back and forth when he wants, and it kind of makes him a little too powerful if, like, he's in control of that. And, you know, now that I talk about it, it is kind of nice that he's bound to the evenings, at least for now. He's just a night owl. He meets up with Sam Elliott, who's kind of his helping hand through the movie, this wise old man. You all right? Yeah, I'm good. I feel like my skull's on fire, but I'm good. Thanks for the water. Have you seen my bike? He can. He knows, somehow, mysteriously, mm-hmm. that Johnny Blaze is also Ghost Rider. And it's like, oh, like, what is he... I wonder what's going on here. And we don't know yet. We won't know for another 45 minutes. But, like, we know who this guy is. Basically, this guy gives him some some of the cage advice. He's like, get used to it, kid. I know that you made a deal with the devil. Like, this is something you're going to have to live with. The sooner you come to grips with your new reality, the easier your life is going to be. You are the rider. The ghost rider. Get used to it, kid. It'll be a lot easier. If you don't, I got a nice cozy spot picked out for you. They've seen you now. They'll be waiting for you. If you need my help, expect to last the night. Last time I let a stranger help me, it didn't pan out so good. This ain't something you can run from, kid. They've been coming since you made that deal. I see Sam Elliott show up, and he's just reminding me, like, I wish we got the Western Ghost Rider, almost. I mean, they're trying they're trying to do, like, a modern Western, and I'm appreciating that, at least, you know, with the iron horse instead of an actual horse and all this kind of thing, like the motorcycle and stuff. And also, it's been, like, almost 50 minutes until he Ghost Rider's changing, and I was kind of like, oh, we need to push that back to 30 minutes, maybe get him Ghost Ridered a little earlier and get Sam Elliott in here and have them team up almost for the rest of the film. And then when he does show up, Sam Elliott kind of lays it all out real clean, you know? He's like, you're a bounty hunter for the devil. You can only ghost rider at night. The thing you did to the crook was called the penance stare. The guy who is hanging with the boy band is called Blackheart. Uh, <laughs> he wants this deed of souls that I hid. Whoops, I, I mean someone hid. This <laughs> this other guy, Carter Slade, he hid this thing somewhere. And, and finally... Demons can't cross hallowed ground, and even though we're part demon, we can. So, there you go. It's kind of a big info dump, right? Like, he gives the, it basically gives the history of Blackheart, the history of Ghost Rider, who he is, kind of what he's doing, and the rules of the universe. <laughs> I'm okay with it because it's Sam Elliott talking, but, like, it's kind of things that, for the most part, we kind of already knew were pieced together, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's kind of my only issue, is, like, I wish he was sort of trying to explain things earlier. Like, I, I think of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie, and how well this sort of mystery man showed up to help Buffy, even when she wasn't very accepting of it. And from time to time, like, he would be there, and they grew into this team. And I was like, man, they could have... Because Johnny's like, I don't even... He's like, man, I don't have time for this. I gotta get back, like, you know? And he's like, wait, I know everything about you. And Johnny's like, you don't understand. Gotta get back. And, and I'm just like, mm, I like all this stuff. I just feel like it's kind of jumbled in the way it's being presented. But what's not jumbled is that we cut back to Rebel Wilson giving her <laughs> on-screen interview to Ava Mendez, and it's great. Could you tell us about the Good Samaritan? Well, I'll never forget him, that's for sure. He was tall, broad shoulders, and thin, really thin, like bony. And he had this rat chopper. It was all flames and stuff. Oh, and his face was a skull, and it was on fire. On fire? Yeah, like... 
like that much fire. And I know it sounds weird, but it looked okay on him. I mean, it was an edge look, but he totally pulled it off. Not sure what to add to that. I'm Roxanne Simpson on scene. Yeah, she's great, and her American accent is awesome. She flashes some gang signs at the screen at one point. And we never really, we haven't really talked about Nick Cage's accent, but he kind of slips in and out of the Western accent. He doesn't really go full Sailor Ripley. He doesn't go full H.I. McDonough, but he tries, he tries at points to remind us that his character's from Texas. I liked his Southern <laughs> accent, actually. When he talks, one of the things that I really don't like about Nick Cage is that his voice is always the same and it's when he's doing words that end in ing i feel like he's not saying the g and he says it in such a distinctive way that i find so annoying that this covered in this movie with his accent i loved it yeah i feel like his natural voice has sort of a, a drawl to it a southern california mm-hmm. drawl in a way and yeah i love when he does accents too when we watched world trade center i think i remarked how well he was pulling off that new york accent and, and he hadn't done one in a long time and, and i was glad that he was back doing something like that and he meets back up with Ava Mendez, and she kind of loves him after all, that she's sort of... that She meets up with him in his apartment while he's kind of trying to master his abilities, and she's pissed at him for standing her up, but she also kind of loves him and like thinks that it's sweet that he still has pictures of them. And there's this real like history there. Even though she's not necessarily a great character, I feel like in a lot of these movies where the Diane Kruger syndrome pops up, at the same time as there's a weak female character, there's not a great relationship between Cage and that character. But I feel like here, even if she's not great as a character, I think that their dynamic together works really well. Yeah, I think they're really, like, they have chemistry and they're cute. A lot of their relationship in this movie, like, they have weird reactions. Like, she's not mad about being stood up when she's 17 and not seeing him forever, but she's mad about getting stood up at dinner. But I can forgive it because I think she's obviously so pretty and charming and they're just so cute yeah and i love the fact that she calls him a carny right (laughs) she's like you're still just a carny at heart like i I do get as much as they can give with these characters the way they're written like i I like this idea that she has gotten over him and now there's this movie sort of is about second chances right or it tries to be about second chances and, and she's up for that and i think that's cool and kind of realistic and you don't really see that a lot like she's not being this super stuck up girl she's not you know an ice queen right like she's not frigid she's not all that's like she's actually she's just a flirt right like she's just being flirty like she doesn't want to give it up real fast again immediately she wants to make him work for it but she's willing to work at it and she's not willing to just give in to whatever he says that he's like why'd you stand me up and he's like all right i'm gonna i'm gonna explain this to you he does like a series of gestures that i feel like only nicholas cage can do (laughs) like where he's he's having the conversation to himself like what he's gonna say and how he's gonna do it and there's really no easy way to say it. It's just like, all right, look, you know, sold my soul to the devil. Got to do some stuff for him. And she just, oh, come on. She just, she just walks out, which is the appropriate reaction, I think. Even though she's not necessarily great in other points, I think here there is a sense of reality. She is tough on him, and she, but she's fair. Like It, it makes sense here, which, the way that her character is written. I feel like she has a little bit of, like, Vicky Vale syndrome as well, though. Like, this felt like the scene in Batman where Michael Keaton comes to... Vicky Vale and he tries to tell her that he's Batman and it never really comes out but he does 
get it out, and he is sort of like, I'm the Ghost Rider. And, and the thing that she doesn't really put together, the thing I never really, I mean, I thought Vicky Vale was smarter, an investigative reporter, and she could have figured it out at some point. Eva Mendez just did a report on, like, this flaming skull creature that's <laughs> terrorizing the city last night, and here's Nick Cage saying, I sold my soul to the devil, I turned into a monster. And she's like, I can't buy this. She's like, <laughs> you know, I'm calling. She's like, I'm either going to call the paddy wagon and have the net draped over you and dragged into the loony bin, or like, I'm going to leave forever. What is it with all these superheroes falling in love with reporters? We have Lois okay. Lane, we have Vicky Vale, we have Roxanne Simpson, not nearly as alliterative or catchy of a name, yeah. but we still have like three, three yeah. superheroes loving reporters. I don't get it. Even on The Flash that I watched, Iris West and Flash seem to be romantically involved at some point. So it's it's yeah. a superhero. It's one of those tropes. And so he runs after Ava Mendes and gets arrested by the cops. And he's brought into a room, and all I could think about while watching the scene was interrogation sketch from with Bob yes. and David. <laughs> that they're doing good cop, bad cop. He's like, man, I've seen TV. I know what you're doing. I wasn't even honestly paying attention to the scene, because all I could think about was, like, what is Cage saying to one of these cops to make the other cop mad <laughs> at the other cop? Yeah, and, and he kind of says to them, right, this is where he says, uh, hey, like, I, I'm kind of thinking of being a, a psycho cop when I finish with this whole Daredevil racket. And I'm thinking, oh, like, sequel, he's going to be a cop, Ghost Rider the cop, and he's going to, like, be a California Highway Patrol. Or the sequel could have been The Wicker Man, where he is a motorcycle cop, he gets burned alive at the end, so him, oh and, him bathed in fire, birthed in fire. It's all the same movie, guys. <laughs> all the Cage movies are the same movie. And then these guys, they lock him up. And this is... This yeah, bad idea. Yeah. And it's just a bunch of guys who recognize that he's Johnny Blaze. They're just kind of stereotypical comic book bad guys that they're just going to beat up a guy because they can. And they beat him down, they start punching him, and then just like this light explodes, and they all get thrown away, and he just kills another guy, and then there's a kid there. I don't, I don't remember what he says to the kid, but the kid just like passes out. Like the kid is the only one who stands up for him. But this entire cell of basically like Joker runoff villains, like just sort of goons, try to take out Johnny Blaze, and they don't know that he's Ghost Rider. Yeah, and they all like, really hated him. They were just like, oh, I paid $10 to watch you crash, and you didn't. Like, it was ridiculous. <laughs> Ridiculous. I don't know what. I mean, it got the Ghost Rider to come out, but it was crazy. And he did that point, I think, at that kid at the end. I think that was another yeah. point moment. It was another point moment. Yeah, he, he spoke, too. He, he said the kid was innocent, I believe, and, that, oh, and yeah. that's why he spares him and everything. <laughs> and, uh, but, I mean, you guys are so right. Like, if you saw someone from, like, the Nitro Circus or, like, Johnny Knoxville, like, a daredevil guy who's popular on TV for doing crazy shit, like, if they get arrested, I don't know, like, it seems like they threw him into the drunk tank, and you would think that those guys would be like, oh, like, what crazy-ass shit did you do to get thrown in here? Can I have your autograph? You're crazy, man. But no, they're like, you punk you phony <laughs> like you know they like have a grudge against him like he's the weatherman like just because he's famous they feel like you think you're better than us and like what's weird is that donald Logan's is like oh no he was arrested like this is going to end his career and i'm thinking no this is going to like help it yeah. this is positive pr you know right. this daredevil guy doing something crazy got arrested i mean maybe not for murder i, I guess murder <laughs> is a bad thing to get arrested for but in terms of just him as like a bad boy like it works it works in his favor do you think that he killed all of those guys in the jail or did he just like throw them off and they got knocked out 
I was trying to decide if yeah, he killed more people. I wasn't sure what power that was. Like, if he did, like, a massive penance stare where he did, like, all of them at once, like, in one fell swoop, mm-hmm. and they all went crazy and died from insanity or something. Or they're all definitely lying on the ground there. I don't know. Like, that's why I wish his power was a little more clear-cut, like, something a little more visual. If he just lit people on fire, you're evil, you're going to die one way or the other, I'm just going to roast you. I feel like in this movie, whenever you're not sure if somebody lives or dies, I think they're probably alive because toward the end of the movie, it seems like Blackheart should be killing people and none of those people get killed. No. It seems like he kills Sam Elliott and he's fine. You know what I mean? I know that Sam Elliott's sort of like this ethereal, original Ghost Rider, spoiler alert. I feel like a lot of people who should die, they just kind of get knocked out cold. And maybe that's just like the PG-13 rating. Maybe that's just sort of the comic book way. I would say that they're okay. So if you're, okay. if you're worried about the sanctity <laughs> of a drunk tank, I think they're fine. Oh, good. Yeah, because Blackheart even sort of half freezes even Mendez at one point. I guess unless <laughs> unless they unless you see their body sort of dissolve in a flurry of special effects, they're they're cool. And so Cage takes um, his leather jacket, takes the Ghost Rider leather jacket off one of these guys, summons his bike. Apparently, he has the ability to call his bike from anywhere, which is kind of cool. The bike comes, and then he just drives around the city doing crazy Ghost Rider stuff, driving up and down buildings, driving on top of a bridge and kind of grinding down the bridge and then riding along the water, through the water. I kind of like, and I think we talked about this earlier, he just knows how to use his abilities and knows when to use things, and is just sort of good at being Ghost Rider pretty quickly. I don't know when he said this. I think maybe he was saying at some point, probably with Sam Elliott, like, Oh, I remember that. Like, I wasn't sure if he immediately knew how to use the powers or if I think one of you mentioned, like, it was another demon taking over. But I think now, at this point, he probably remembers everything, right? Yeah, I took it as he sort of made himself transform. The devil didn't transform him this time. And Mm -hmm. and I feel like he's the one in control and he's the one test driving his powers out now and and doing all the crazy stuff. And this is, like, he breaks out of prison, right? He just kind of melts the bars and and the cops are all waiting for him outside. And and he kind of leads them on like a mini chase around the city and and like you said joey like he's driving up and down bridges he he drives on the water he flips the bird to the cops behind him and he's like <laughs> laughing and it's ghost rider putting up the finger i don't know i thought that was just like outrageous and hilarious and and then smokey comes after him so that's when he goes up the building and i thought that was a really awesome image too of just him ghost riding up the wall like that and they have like a little tussle on the top of the building that's that's when he sort of fights the helicopter right and this whole sequence is just like the money shots one after the other like just really cool looking special effects of ghost rider driving around being ghost rider because it is cgi so they ostensibly could do it at any point in the movie but it's like they want to condense the Ghost Rider things into certain sections. Mm-hmm. After this, before the big finale, he's kind of just Johnny Blaze for a while. But here we get like a solid 15 or 20 minutes of him just doing crazy things, fighting these demons of the week, you know, facing off against the cops, kind of, fighting helicopters. It's essentially, you know, how Mad Max is like two long chases that you can't look away. It's like this, like there's like 20 minutes right, you can't look away because no matter what he's doing or where he is, it's just like, it's something nuts is happening. And that's where I kind of felt a little issue with the pacing, at least with this extended cut. Between these sort of awesome flurries of Ghost Rider action, it, it's feeling stretched and long. And I think it's because these moments are packed together in a way. You know, like when Ghost Rider's on the scene, like he's going to be around for a while and do a lot of shit. And it's almost going to be like a buzzreel of like cool special effects moments. And then we're going to go back and sort of pull back and slow the film down a little bit until we can build up an effects budget for 
some shots when we really need them, you know, like towards <laughs> the end again. And they do bring them back too. Like that's what I got to give this credit for. Like even when I'm kind of bored and sort of want this movie to get on with it, when it gets on with it, I'm like, thank you for getting on with it in this manner because we get what I consider like some really cool imagery. And this is kind of the point in the movie where Cage or Johnny Blaze or Ghost Rider, they're all like he's kind of on the run a little bit that he's now broken out of jail. He's a con on the loose. Everything around him kind of begins to fall apart. The cops are chasing after him. Donald Logue and Ava Mendes are trying to figure out. Like they, they, they meet up in his apartment, and they get confronted by a demon. The demons somehow break onto the hallowed ground of Sam Elliott's place. Everybody Cage is close to is getting thrown into a corner, and like all the people he cares about are suddenly in mortal danger. I don't think that Sam Elliott part happens in the theatrical version. Oh, okay. Yeah, really? I don't remember that, because all that I saw was they were in the apartment, and then Donna Logue died, sadly. I don't remember what Johnny Blaze was doing at that point, but I don't think I saw the caretaker or any demons there. There is a scene, right, Mike, where they show me, he's like, how are you here? And they, they give an explanation, but, like, there is a scene. I didn't make that up, No, that right? definitely didn't happen to mine then. Yeah, like, afterwards... Cage sort of goes back to Carter Slade and he's like, I know what I am. I'm a ghost rider. Everyone knows who I am. I'm a ghost rider. It's on TV. And he's like, I was a Texas Ranger ghost rider 150 years ago. Did the same thing you did. And I, I hid the thing. Right. And that's what he gives. I don't know if he gives it to him yet, but this is what's weird. They cut back to Roxy and Mac where they're looking through Johnny's sort of research and all this stuff. And then Blackheart shows up and kills Mac. And then they cut back to the church and i'm like where's ghost rider like where'd cage go why is it just sam elliott that's when blackheart and the elemental guys show up and just sort of beat the shit out of them you know they just sort of yeah and it's like they could have totally murdered this guy eventually they would have found the deed was in his shovel but they basically are like tell ghost rider we're looking for him and they threaten ava mendez this is this is the part of the movie where there's a lot of like classic corny bad guy lines that Blackheart says, you have his heart, now I'm going to break it. And it's just like, ooh, like scary. Sam Elliott says something along the lines of, he may have his soul, but he does not have his spirit. Cage sold his soul to the devil, but who Cage is, you know, having sold his soul for love, having sold it for like a good thing instead of personal gain, it means that he is unpredictable. If anybody's going to be able to beat the devil, if anybody's going to be able to beat Blackheart, it is someone like Cage, because he did things for the right reason. You're going to have to trust me. Why is that? He may have my soul, but he doesn't have my spirit. Any man who's got the guts to sell his soul for love, got the power to change the world. He didn't do it for greed. He did it for the right reason. Maybe that puts God on your side. To them, that makes you dangerous, makes you unpredictable. Best thing you can be right now. Now that he's owning the curse and the Ghost Rider power, I think it means that he can use it for good, right? And Sam Elliott's like, since you sold your soul for good, like that means God is sort of paying attention now, and you're not as damned as you used to be in a way. Or I think it's just a way to say like you can be a good guy if you want to, you know, just because you got the powers from the devil doesn't mean that you're a bad person. And then the two of them team up, Ghost Rider Present and Ghost Rider Past, to go take things down. And Cage is like, we. He says, I got one last ride left in me. He transforms into Ghost Rider. And it's like, no way. Like, who saw that coming? <laughs> and then they ride out into the desert. 
And then like, they basically ride out like halfway into the desert, and Sam is like, that's all I got, kid. <laughs> like, like, he's like, I had one last transformation, and that transformation is going to be getting him most of the way there. Like, it's kind of a weird anticlimactic farewell to Sam Elliott. It was. It, he was just like, all right, peace. And then he like fades away into the distance. I really liked that when they were riding in the desert, they had this like really Western song playing. I know it's probably like a famous one. It was great. Believe it or not, I love the Wild West Ghost Rider. What? Yeah, could you believe it? Um, I was like, you know, whoever wrote this is just a jerk because like, why would you waste old Ghost Rider and new Ghost Rider on riding to the place? Like, you, what you want to do is like use them as a decoy or like incorporate them into the finale somehow where there's two on one. You have them team up and stuff. I guess they had to beat the sunrise, but maybe I think they could have done it in a way where he was more involved at the end instead of sort of just walking off into the distance and becoming a real ghost. I think the end would have been better with the two of them doing something with Blackheart instead of Eva Mendez. I mean, she did well, but I think it would have been so much more interesting having two ghost riders. Look, we have a badass girl and now you don't want it? Like, what do you you want? (laughs) I also wondered about the effects budget at this point because Blackheart is sort of going to summon all these demons and they're going to have to do they have to do all that on screen too so maybe they just couldn't afford two ghost riders running around at the same time and Blackheart's going to turn into some legion fellow all of a sudden what I like about their ride out into the desert is that they ride past that lizard who just burst in the flames <laughs> and we haven't seen an animal die like that since raising Arizona when Leonard Smalls just drives by and just shotguns like wild animals in the desert I just thought that was a kind of, like, I don't think necessarily that's a reference to Raising Arizona, but just these, like, poor little animals just on the side of the road just getting killed just because the wrong person's rolling through. Well, that lizard was evil and deserved it, I'm sure. Otherwise, the penance there wouldn't have affected him in that way. You know, even if they did a drive-by real quick, and maybe Ghost Rider winked at him and was like, I see you. Then there's, like, this underwater fight where apparently Cage is able to be Ghost Rider underwater, which is kind of cool. But then they all converge, and this is another movie where everybody comes together at the end. And it's not necessarily everybody, but Eva Mendes is there, Johnny Blaze is there, Blackheart is there, and he says, I know you have the contracts, you're working for me now, if you change into Ghost Rider, I'm going to kill Eva Mendes. This is sort of where I'm getting, like you said, like a little bit of that Sergio Leone vibe, you know? They're they're in this dilapidated Tex-Mex church from like 150 years ago, and they're doing like the close-up of the eyes and the trigger finger and all that kind of stuff. It's pretty cool. They sort of tussle right away, right? Cage is like, here's the deed, or here's the souls. They try and do a little bit of a fight. What I thought was kind of cool is he throws those fireballs at him, right? Like, there's mm-hmm. like little bits of the Ghost Rider's fire skull hits the the ground and then Ghost Rider like picks him up with the dirt and throws him at Blackheart but it just doesn't phase him whatsoever because he's called forth all the souls that are on this document. It's kind of also like the end of Blade, right? Where like at the end of Blade, it's like this hotshot vampire who calls upon the souls of all these dead vampires and turns into a super vampire. And and here, Blackheart kind of does the same thing. It's like, here's the souls that his dad never collected. It's going to give him the power to cause end of days, I'm assuming. Yeah, he's going to become like the most powerful man in the world, I guess, with the energy or the power of a thousand souls. It's just... Seems like a lot of souls. That's I, I don't know. I don't know in the grand scheme of things how many that is, but it seems like a lot of souls. Yeah, it seemed like too much for him too, right? Like at one <laughs> point he was like, "This is not what I was expecting," <laughs> you know? uh, but he manages to get it all under control and contained. Cage gets flipped by his own chain. Like all movie, we've been talking about how he sort of knows how to control himself, 
it seems like Blackheart is almost better at being Ghost Rider using his tools than Ghost Rider is. Cage is kind of getting his ass kicked until Ava Mendes comes up with a shotgun and kind of knocks Blackheart off his game. You're right, I do like that part a lot. (laughs) I was was happy she was finally doing something useful. And she was doing damage, too. A lot more damage than those fireballs were doing. Yeah, it was really cool that she got to wake up and, you know, grab the gun and and they give her this awesome moment here. And it is cool when Legion sort of, he he does like that soul scatter thing. And I thought that was pretty cool. They all kind of crawl back together to reform. I thought that was nice. And then it was time for a staring contest. The good, the bad, the ugly references. And this is really cool. I mean, I feel like a lot of the movie, there's a lot of like visual flair in terms of the CGI and in terms of like the way the things look. But the directorial touches aren't necessarily there. I mean, like, there's cool things, but, like, this, I think, is handled really well. And as excited as I am for Neville, Dean, and Taylor to come for the next one, I think that the end fight here, at least in terms of, like, the showdown between the two, it's cool. Like, it works really well, and it's exactly what they're going for, I think. Yeah, there was the cool moment where the sun is rising, so he can only sort of be Ghost Rider in the shadows, right? So he turns the shotgun into a Ghost Rider gun when it's in the dark and shoots him with that at one point. This is what I got from it. It was something that I complained about earlier that I think that he fixed in the end here is Blackheart grabs him and he's like, you've lost, you've lost, right? And Ghost Rider's like, psych, and he turns into Ghost Rider. (laughs) And I think it's daytime, right? It's like daytime. Well, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's bordering daytime because that's why he's like, I got to get the shadows because okay, like, there's, yeah. like they're running out of time here. And that's when Ava Mendes is like, no, you can do it. And then gives him a shotgun. He turns the shotgun into a fire shotgun and shoots him with a fire bullet, which is great. And then he grabs him by the lapels and stares at him, and he does the penance stare again, and this time it works because his demon body that had no soul is now filled with hundreds of thousands of them. So he's getting all of that, goes insane with the cinder eyes and everything. And he defeats Blackheart. Blackheart falls, Blackheart dies. I don't know, I mean, I don't know if a demon can really die, but, like, he's defeated. This is kind of a weird little twist at the end here, that as they're having this moment, or as this is all happening, Ava Mendez comes up to Ghost Rider with his flaming skull, puts her hand on his face, and she's like, I'm not afraid. And it's like, how are you... Like, I understand that like, he won't want to hurt Ava Mendez, but like, it's still a flaming skull. Like, how mm-hmm. does this not hurt her? Yeah, I don't... It, like, melts away when she puts her hand up, but as she was approaching, I was like, oh my god, have you never touched fire before? <laughs> it felt... <laughs> again, I was getting, like, a Hulk moment when Jennifer... At, the, at least the first Hulk, where Jennifer Connelly is, like, crazy enough to, like, put her hand on the Hulk's face, and then he sort of morphs back into Bruce Banner. I don't know what's going on there. I think they just want that moment so at this point you've seen all this other crazy shit i guess you're gonna at least i was like not thinking about her getting burned and and then the other part of me was like maybe it's not fire like we know it's mystic it's like demonic it's something different it's magical so it could just be if he needs it to be real fire that hurts you it could be but if you're a loved one that doesn't deserve it maybe he can just sort of turn it off Maybe. It's hard to tell because Sam Elliott didn't inform him about that earlier. It was one of the, one of the things he <laughs> left out. <laughs> but before we really have time to process it, the devil shows up. And he's like, hey, look, you did your job. You're free now. Like, you want me to take that back? Like, you can live a normal life. And once again, with Ava Mendez right there, he's just like, sorry, Ava Mendez. I got work to do. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to own this curse. Use it against you. I'm going to be the spirit of vengeance. Great name for a movie coming up. I'm going to fight fire with fire. You can't live in fear. Watch out, devil. I'm going to own this curse. And I'm going to use it against you. Whenever innocent blood is spilt, it'll be my father's blood. 
And you'll find me there. A spirit of vengeance. Fighting fire with fire. I will make you pay for this. You can't live in fear. I, I understand, like, they want to set up a franchise, but, like, in terms of this world, like, Ava Mendes is right there. Just saved his life. Go with her. I don't understand why he couldn't do both, because he seemed to be able to have a, like, successful Dunn Rider career. I mean, he wasn't turning into Ghost Rider at that point, but he knew something was going to happen, and he still, like, was living his life. I don't understand why now that he could control his powers, he's not just like, I can do both. Why is he leaving her? Yeah, I don't know why he has to make a choice here either. I'm really confused that this devil is, like, admirable, right? Like, he's going to keep up this end of the deal? This seems like a first for the devil. In my experience, um, the devil has never kept his bargain with me before. It's just kind of weird that the devil doesn't just take the power back. Like, why can't he do that? Like, he bestowed this upon Nick Cage. When Nick Cage, like, I just thought it was like a courtesy, like, you're free. You can give it back. And then as soon as he's, like, Nick Cage said, no, I'm going to keep it, I was like, well, the devil can just sort of take it if he wants it, can't he? But he doesn't. Not sure why he lets Nick Cage <laughs> keep the power. Yeah, maybe he's he's a fallen guy, so like he can't really, like he could give things, but he can't take them away. I, I don't know. And, and then the other thing I was thinking is, Johnny Blaze, is he still wanted for murder? Like, he might be still wanted for murder, so it could be why he doesn't team up with Eva Mendez. He might need to be leaving town for a while. Yeah, there's a lot of loose threads here that aren't necessarily tied up. The only thing that they really do tie up is that Ava Mendez is like, you know, that's not the decision I would have made, but like, I'm okay with it. And she basically gives him her blessing, and then he rides off into the sunset saying he's going to be a ghost rider. Like, we don't know if he still wanted, we don't know why the devil didn't take his power back. Maybe the devil's bored, maybe he just wants an adversary, I don't know. There's a lot of things that are sort of up in the air. Ava Mendez is like, alright, I'm gone, and like, character and actress are literally gone from the next movie, so a fresh start for Ghost Rider in Spirit of Vengeance. Now that the origin story has been told and his first adventure is over, hopefully we'll pick up with him somewhere completely new in a foreign land. I don't even know what to expect. I just hope it's as cool. And this is how legends are born. I think it's one of the last lines, or maybe the last line in the movie. Oh, you know what that last shot reminded me of? It reminded me of the Jerry Bruckheimer production logo with the, like, lightning mm. bolt oh, on yeah. the highway thing there. So, so I was like, I wonder if, like, that was maybe a... I mean, I doubt it, but he's friends with Bruckheimer, has worked with him several times. I was like, I wonder if that's, like, a little shout-out in any way whatsoever. But it's a cage connection for me. Absolutely. Now, I have a couple little bits of trivia. So we were talking, remember when we were talking about Lord of War, it was nominated for that Golden Schmoes Award for Best Poster, and we were like, Golden Schmoes, it sounds like something that people make fun of. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently, not only do they have good awards, and I was also scrolling through the awards, they also have, like, Best T&A, so, I mean, like, it's a real classy, uh, <laughs> real classy award ceremony. They also have Worst Awards, and so this was nominated for Worst Movie of the Year and Biggest Disappointment of the Year. It did not win either of those, but Golden Schmoes was not really a fan of this movie, nor were the Razzies, where it was nominated for Worst Actor Whoa. Uh, for both this and for National Treasure 2. So sorry, Melissa, you're going to have two Razzie-nominated <laughs> performances in the near future. But he did not win, or lose, however you want to say it, because Eddie Murphy lost or won for Norbit. <laughs> I'm amazed still at like how many Razzies his films have been nominated for, but I'm just thankful that he hasn't won very many either. You know, like His films are up, but they never get the awards, so <laughs> it's like close but no cigar. We're still hanging yeah. in there. Peter Fonda was in Deadfall, and I think maybe Welcome to Hollywood. He was at least credited. I don't remember if he was in that or not. 
and he will be back for The Runner, which just came out this year. Ava Mendez will return in Bad Lieutenant. So there's a couple cage connections there in terms of the people closest to him. The big dilemma, and we actually didn't talk about this when I, even though I teased it, was the internet is not sure whether or not Cage's abs were CGI. One thing I read said that they were, and then another thing I read said that he was really mad that people thought they were. And I mean, Mike, we've seen him, at least early in his career, this is a little bit later, he hasn't been shirtless in a while, early in his career, he was always ripped and always showing off his abs. I totally believe that he could have gotten in the shape for the movie, but what are your opinions, both of you, in terms of whether these were real or fake abs on Cage as Johnny Blaze? As far as this movie went, I thought the hardest about this scene, and I watched it several times so I could fully form my opinion. I think that based on listening to this podcast and knowing how committed he gets to his roles, like learning Navajo for a movie which he did not speak any Navajo in, I definitely think that he worked out and probably had abs, but this scene is set up in such a way they don't show his actual face, they only show it in the mirror. He's all wet. I could see that being CGI, like helping hide where it's enhanced. And he's looking in a mirror. So I think I could see why people think that it is not real. I think that if anything, it's enhanced a little, but I think he definitely had the abs. And didn't really give it a second thought. I I assumed (sighs) it was a real shot. I have a couple reasons behind that too. At first I saw the boy in blue, so I know how jacked and ripped he can get. I mean, that was quite a while ago. However, I also saw Con Air and his guns in Con Air, I don't mean the (laughs) ones he shoots, I mean the ones he flexes, are huge. You know, the dude can get in shape. Then I was like, you know, of course this scene is real because it's for the girlfriends in the audience, right? Like, this is the obligatory hero with his shirt off scene that you get in an action film, even though this isn't quite an action film you would expect to get that from. But it's almost like like Matt, if Matt Damon was shirtless in a Bourne movie or Ben Affleck was shirtless in a Ben Affleck movie, I don't know. <laughs> um, the only thing that, now that you say the CG, I never heard that before, the only thing that kind of throws me is he's, like, completely shaved. And we know that, like, he's got lots of crazy chest hair throughout his career, you know? Sure. So it's like, that that's the one thing that's kind of thrown me. Like, I think it's real, though. It's just that the chest hair thing throws me. Maybe they maybe they digitally shaved him a little more than he actually was or something like that. However, I believe that he got ripped in, in shape for this movie. I, I have the feeling he went out and rode a motorcycle a hell of a lot, like went on some tracks and did all that kind of shit. And part of that might have helped him get into this type of condition. So I think all three of us are of the mind that they are at least mostly real, if not entirely real. I think the other person we'll have to ask is Lindsay Gibb, cage expert, when she comes back for Drive Angry, which is kind of like Ghost Rider Part 3 almost, <laughs> that it's a similar enough movie that it's kind of like a trilogy here. So we'll ask yeah. her. I'm sure she's got some opinions of it. Hey, Joey here. I want to make sure that I didn't leave you hanging on this very important question of whether or not Cage's abs were real. I emailed Cage expert Lindsay Gibb and asked her what she thought, and she said first that they looked so weird in the screenshot I sent over, but then agreed with us. She thinks that they're real, but perhaps enhanced a bit for the screen. He seems to keep in good shape and definitely had abs when he was younger, so I believe that he kept it up into middle age. His hair, on the other hand, dot dot dot, Then, she made a really interesting point, which I had not read, and said that he got a lizard tattoo because he was tired of being a beefcake and hoped that directors would stop wanting to show him topless if he had a weird tattoo. He added the top hat and cane because he thought the lizard alone was too pretentious. So that's your Lindsay Gibb moment here on Cage Club, and back to the podcast. 
the last little three things that I have is apparently Johnny Depp and Eric Bana were both interested or considered for the lead role. So it's funny that you mentioned Hulk before, that Eric Bana played the Hulk and almost was Johnny Blaze here. But Cage lobbied furiously for the role because he loves the character, loves the comics. And apparently John Voight was attached to the project at one point, but dropped out. So I don't know if he was going to be the Peter Fonda part. I don't know what he was going to be. I guess that would probably make the most sense, right? Yeah, I think Sam Elliott is just so iconic as that Old West voice. And just, you know, when I think of Sam Elliott, I feel like he stepped out of the 1800s. So I couldn't see them using John Voight for that. But I could definitely see John Voight trying to be the devil. And the last thing that I have is that when the helicopters descend into the stadium when he jumps the helicopters ride of the valkyries please and we <laughs> talked a lot on this podcast about uncle francis and we also talked about here how much this movie loves other movies a little nod to apocalypse now directed by uncle francis mr francis ford coppola back in 1979 there you go so that's kind of cool little touch and little bow on this movie so that'll do it for ghost rider melissa thank you very much for coming back for cage club thank you for having me i can't wait to come back i feel like spirit of vengeance is a better movie than this i don't Mm. remember it we'll we'll see we will find out i have a feeling it won't be better i have not seen it but i've seen one or two scenes i know idris alba's in it i'm excited for that i think the ghost rider he looks different i'm not sure if he looks better or worse we'll we'll discuss for all things cage club you can go to cageclub.me you can read our reviews find past podcasts Follow us on Twitter, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. All your Nick Cage needs at cageclub.me. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that's Melissa Lynham. And we'll see you next time on Cage Club. Cage Club.